everyone. Welcome to the Proverbs 910 Ministries podcast, No Trash, Just Truth. We're your hosts and co-founders of Proverbs 910 Ministries, Rose Spiller and Chris Paxson. We're continuing on in our series, The Best Sermon Ever, and we've titled this episode, Giving the Right Way for the Right Reason. We're going to delve into Matthew 6, verses 1 through 4. Chris, since 1982, mysterious donors around the country have dropped large amounts of money, gold coins, diamonds, and other jewelry into the Christmas kettles of the Salvation Army. One of these occurred during the 2017 Christmas season. A Minnesota couple anonymously dropped a $500,000 check into the Salvation Army's red kettle. That's amazing. (laughs) In another instance of Christmas giving, though, an individual walked into a Walmart in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, and paid off all of the customer layaway accounts. Known only as Santa B, the man ended up handing over a cashier's check of more than $50,000. Wow. And in still another occurrence, an anonymous man in Saudi Arabia decided to install a refrigerator on the street in front of his house. He then encouraged his neighbors to help fill the fridge with any spare food they had. What followed was not just leftovers, but freshly cooked dishes prepared specifically to help the needy. The idea became so popular that copycat efforts sprung up from Brussels to Qatar and all over the area. How about this one? In Philadelphia, an anonymous giver made a $100,000 donation to benefit the Philadelphia Orchard Project a nonprofit that supports 58 neighborhood orchards. The 1,000 fruit trees planted in formerly vacant lots, schoolyards, or other urban settings not only help educate and connect people with nature, but they also serve to make fresh food directly available to low-income communities. Let's do one more. When doctors told Michael and Joanne Wagner of Ontario, Canada, that their adopted twin girls from Vietnam were suffering from a rare liver disease, the couple immediately offered to be transplant donors. Michael ended up being a match, but since doctors can only remove a small portion of his liver for the transplant, they told him he'd have to choose which girl would receive the life-saving procedure. He was faced with this awful decision, so the Wagners decided to just let the doctors choose which girl based on medical reasons. Having twins, this one gets me. When the story of their plight went viral, more than 500 people offered to become donors for the other little girl. Eventually, 70 were screened and one anonymous man was chosen. He was incredibly brave to come forward and give an incredible gift. They put their life on the line for someone they never met and they changed their lives forever, Michael Wagner told reporters. Researchers have looked into why people donate, whether it's money, possessions, time, or something more costly like a liver. They concluded that the explanations of why people charitably give fall into three broad categories, from the purely altruistic, which means that their attitude is, I donate because I value the social good done by the charity. Then there's the impurely altruistic, which is the attitude that says, I donate because I extract value from knowing I contribute to the social good for the charity. And then the third reason they claim is the not at all altruistic, which says, I donate because I want to show off how rich I am. Yeah, this was a secular research group. However, if you consult some Jewish scholars, 
They would say that the act of giving is a prime example of what Judaism calls tzedakah, which is Hebrew for charity. And giving a gift anonymously is one of the highest forms of tzedakah. As Rabbi Martin Lakshin, Chair of Humanities Department at York University and Professor of Jewish Studies has said, it's understood that God is more positively inclined to people who give to a charity secretly. He further explains using Proverbs 21.14, which reads, A gift given in secret soothes anger. He says that the meaning of this Proverbs verse is that people giving in secret is one of the few good acts that has the power to soothe the wrath of God. The Talmud, which is made up of the law from the Bible and rabbinic discussions of that law, says that high praise is reserved for those who give undercover. A Jewish medieval scholar wrote that one of the most elevated ways to give was an anonymous donation to a recipient whose identity is also unknown. And the key reason they give for this is that shielding the identities of the donor and the recipient means that the person receiving tzedakah or charity never needs to feel embarrassed at needing or they never have to look at their benefactor in the eye. The concept of there being different levels of charitable giving to aspire to isn't unique to Judaism. The Hindu epic, the Bhagavad Gita, discusses three kinds of charity, the highest being that which is given without expectation of return. In this case, giving anonymously would be a guarantee that the donor's motives are purely altruistic because there's no chance of being acknowledged, admired, or compensated for a gift. So there's a lot of opinions on why people give and how people should give. But we're going to look at the reasons people may give, but more importantly, how believers should give. In continuing with the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has a lot to say about giving, and it isn't anything like the reasons that we've already mentioned. But first, we need to remember that Jesus is speaking to new covenant believers. He makes the assumption that the believers listening and us understand the new covenant. The new covenant in a sentence is salvation through grace through Jesus. The old covenant in a sentence was salvation through obedience to the law. Jesus was not abolishing the old covenant. He's fulfilling it. And we're going to look at momentarily and in upcoming episodes that he says things like when you give or in Matthew 6, 5 to 7, when you pray, when you fast. He doesn't say if you give, if you pray, if you fast. He says when. These three disciplines were demanded of believers in the Old Testament. By Jesus using the phrase, when you give, when you pray, when you fast, he's saying that these disciplines are demanded of new covenant believers as well, just as they were with those under the old covenant. These aren't suggestions, they're directives. And as is Jesus' habit in many of his teachings, he starts with the Old Testament directive and he expounds on it. It's not that he's changing or adding to the directives. He's explaining them as God originally meant them to be. This is exactly what Jesus did in Matthew chapter 5, as we saw earlier in episodes, when he said, You have heard it said, but I say to you, he's not changing the Old Testament commandments. He's educating New Testament believers on their original meaning, which was much different from what was being taught by the Pharisees. He continues this in chapter 6 with giving, praying, and fasting. First, 
He shows the wrong interpretation, as was being taught, and then he teaches the original intent and correct practice of these three spiritual disciplines. So, Chris, let's start digging in the scripture. Let's read Matthew 6, 1 to 4. It says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites in the synagogues do and in the street, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Matthew 6, 1 may seem like Jesus is contradicting himself. Didn't he just preach in the last section of this sermon in Matthew 5, 16, Let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven? Certainly, letting others see you give generously, give to a worthy cause in the name of Jesus, would be letting your light shine, wouldn't it? Well, maybe, but maybe not. In Matthew 5, Jesus was preaching about our not being ashamed of the gospel message and directing us to reflect the glory of God to the world. The Greek word for light in Matthew 5.16 is phos, which is defined as radiance. As we said in the episode in which we looked at this section, shining your light is unabashedly sharing the gospel message through words in order to convey God's word to a desperate world, even to the point of persecution or death. When we do that, we're showing the world the radiance or glory of Christ. And sometimes that may mean giving when it'll be seen. But as with everything, it's all about the heart. We need to ask ourselves some questions. What are the surrounding circumstances of my giving? What's my motivation for giving? Am I giving simply to be seen? You know, our inclination is probably always to answer that last question with an emphatic, no, no, I'm not giving to be seen. Hmm. And we might truly believe that. But Jesus, who knows human nature and knows our hearts, is trying to protect us from ourselves. While chapter 5 of the book of Matthew was Jesus commanding us to reflect the gospel unashamedly and eager, chapter 6 warns us to make sure we aren't doing it out of selfish ambition. The key words in this passage are, in order to be seen. There may be times when your giving being seen by others is of spiritual benefit. Jesus isn't saying that no one should ever see you give. He's saying, test your motives. Why are you giving? If no one would ever know that you gave, would you still give? Are you giving to show off to others? If you are, then God's not impressed. Jesus calls the Pharisees, and us if we're giving this way, hypocrites. Yeah, he illustrates this in Matthew 6, 2 when he says, Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. They didn't actually sound trumpets in the synagogue when people gave. Jesus is using hyperbole and humor here to make a point that it is hypocritical to say that you're giving because you love God when all you really want is love from man. D.A. Carson says this about hypocrites. In older Greek, a hypocrite was an actor, but by the first century, the term came to be used for those who play roles and see the world as their stage. Hmm. And if we're using the world as our stage and being generous so people will make a fuss over us, 
That fuss is the only reward we receive. And while we may think that getting a lot of attention from others is a pretty cool reward, there's a bigger downside to giving in order to impress people. God doesn't receive the glory from it. We do. And when we receive glory, not only do we rob God of his due, but we fail to further the gospel message. And we end up with an inflated ego, which can transcend into the dangerous sin of pride. As Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Exactly. Other scriptures show the very ominous effect of pride. James 4, 6 says that God opposes the proud. Proverbs 16, 5 calls anyone who is proud or arrogant an abomination to God. Is it any wonder that pride goes before destruction? No. (laughs) I mean, Jesus goes to great lengths to save us from pride, arrogance, and ultimately from ourselves. He says, in contrast, to give quietly and humbly. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That doesn't mean we shouldn't keep track of our giving. That would not be discerning or responsible at all for us to do. Nor does it mean that Jesus is saying we can't get receipts for our giving or write our donations off of our taxes. He means that we should give in a spirit of humility. That's exactly right. We shouldn't self-congratulate ourselves (laughs) saying things like, Wow, I've given a lot of money away. Good for me. Good for you. (laughs) Or I bet I gave more than anyone else. We Mm. also shouldn't have a need to tell others how much we gave. No. There's plenty of verses in scripture that address how and why we should give. One of them is 1 John 3, 17 to 18, which says, If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against them, how does God's love abide in him? Dear children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. If you're wondering, how will I know if I should give in secret or out in the open, ask yourself this question. Who gains if people see my giving? It is usually when we don't want people to see us giving, that's precisely when it might be beneficial for them to see us, and vice versa. For example, in Acts 4, 36-37, we're told, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Prior verses to this record that many others were selling their belongings and giving money to the apostles to distribute as needed. Yet only Barnabas is named. The early church was close-knit. Everyone probably would have known who was selling their stuff off. So their giving wasn't in secret. But God chose to name Barnabas in particular to use as an example throughout history as a man who gave because he loved God. Nowhere do we see evidence that Barnabas was trying to be seen. Therefore, none of this is in conflict with Matthew 6, 1-4. Barnabas was giving out of love for God, not love for man. In contrast, the next verses, Acts 5, 1-11, tell us about a man named Ananias and his wife, Sapphira, who gave to draw attention to themselves. They wanted it to look like they were generous by selling land and giving money to the church. We know that they were giving with wrong motives because they lied about how much money they received for their land and made it seem like they were giving all when they actually weren't. Their sin wasn't in not giving all the money that they received for the land to the apostles. Their sin was lying about it to make themselves look better than they were. And again, it's all about the heart. And they died. God struck them dead right then. They got struck dead for it. One at a time. Boom, boom. (laughs) 
Jesus concludes the verses in Matthew that we read with telling us about the blessings we receive when we do give in the right spirit. Not only do we receive satisfaction at being able to give back to God some of what he's given to us, but God, who's the true owner of everything we have, receives the glory. And if that isn't enough, our gracious Father responds by lavishing even more blessings on us. We see this in Malachi 3 verse 10, which says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. This doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to receive a monetary blessing or some other earthly type of tangible blessing, but we will receive some type of blessing from God. Right. And in Galatians 6, 9 and 10, it says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith, meaning other Christians. And just a warning, if you hear these passages and think, I'm going to start being generous and giving to God because he's going to reward me, (laughs) then you just blew it. And you have just reverted back to the condition of the Pharisees who were all about their own glory. So, While there are promises in scripture of how God rewards believers who follow his commands, we should never obey God for rewards. We should obey God because we love him and we want to glorify him. If God did nothing else for us other than send Jesus to save us, that alone should be more than enough to motivate us to want to obey and glorify him. I'll give that a hearty amen. Chris, let's finish with a summary. Even though those in the Old Testament were not able to keep the law, What motivated them to try was their love and devotion to God who chose them and saved them as God's people. Like those in the Old Testament, we could never keep God's commands perfectly, including the command to give. Our motives will never be as pure as Jesus directs them to be. And Jesus doesn't expect that we'll get this right all the time. We've already received salvation and blessing from God. Our success and failure to give in the right spirit doesn't alter that. However, In light of what God has done for us through Jesus, we should certainly want to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in our sanctification and strive to live and give as Jesus directs us to in his Sermon on the Mount and throughout the rest of Scripture. And that's a good place to end today. We hope we've given you something to think about the next time you donate or think about making a donation of your material wealth, your time, your resources, or your liver. Exactly. Will you do it to receive recognition for yourself or for God to receive the glory he's due? Thanks for listening today. Before we sign off, we have some exciting news. Rose and I will be appearing on Igniting a Nation for an interview with Rabbi Eric Walker this Wednesday, August 26th at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time. If you aren't able to tune in live, a video replay of the interview will be posted on all of our social media. And don't forget, if you're looking for a good study for your Bible study group or just for yourself, please consider our book and study guide, No Half Truths Allowed, Understanding the Complete Gospel Message. In fact, beginning September 10th, Chris and I will be doing a live online Bible study of No Half Truths. Since it's live, you'll be able to ask questions and interact with us. Stay tuned for more details, but grab your copy of the book and study guide now to get ready for it. Absolutely. Have a blessed day, everybody.